We have been in this new sermon series called Jesus. Daniel kicked us off in our last NYA, and we looked at John chapter 1, verse 1, and we looked at the beginning, and we were looking at the beginning of the cosmos in which God was working. And, and today, as we continue in the story, we're going to be looking at the plan, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and again, we're, it starts off the same way in the beginning. But before we do that, before we jump into the, into the scriptures, uh, I first just wanted to take a moment and just talk about this idea of plan, the plan of God. You and I understand what it means to put together a plan, particularly if any of you have ever been off on a missions trip or just a trip in general or gone traveling. You know what it's like to buy plane tickets, you know, purchase your Lonely Planet book, figure where you're going to go, how you're going to get there. And, and that's half the fun, isn't it? You lay all these plans, and then you go on this amazing adventure. But there's another kind of plan that we put together, right? We put together those plans, right, that, that are those plans when somebody needs rescuing, right? And, and you put together these plans of how you're going to rescue that person that's in need. Now, listen, ladies... I want to I let you in on a little secret. I want to give you a little advice of how a man's mind works, okay? I know some of you are like, finally. <laughs> well, here it is. You're going to know how a, man mind, how a man's mind works because men do something very weird. Men often, when they're just, if you ever just see a man and he's sitting and he's staring blankly out into space, you need to understand there's a lot going on in here. Because as men, we are constantly putting together plans, plans of attack, okay? When we come into a room, we're scoping out exits. We're constantly thinking about those people we love. If there's anything that goes wrong, what is my contingency plan here? How am I going to save those I love in this situation? Men are like, mm-hmm, that's right. But what I need to understand that sometimes... Men do more than just plan what they're going to do to save those people they love. Sometimes they like to fantasize about actually implementing those plans. <laughs> Men are like, uh-huh. And you know that's going on because, again, their eyes glaze over and there's this soundtrack that begins to play. Okay? And it sounds a little something like this. Right? And it starts to build. And it's that moment where you know that a man's got to do what a man's got to do, and, and he rips off his shirt, right? And he's like, <laughs> it's time, right? And I remember, I've had these moments, particularly when I'm hiking through the forest with my boys, and my eyes glaze over, and I begin to think about, what would I do if a grizzly bear came out at this moment, right? And then I begin to play this out in my mind, and I think if I just, I could jump onto that grizzly bear, I could do that. And I think if I could grab some hair, I could stay there for a bit. But nobody's getting to my boys, right? Nobody's getting to my wife or, or your girlfriend, right? Or, or your mom, especially mom, man. Boys think about their mom like, nobody getting to mama, right? And grizzly bear ain't getting there, right? And you're holding this grizzly bear and you pull out this knife and you're like stabbing this thing and you're thinking about, maybe I could put him in a choker, right? Now, you know you're not gonna make it, but that's okay because you're gonna come before the Lord in glory, right? You're gonna come into those pearly gates and the God's gonna be seeing you with grizzly bear marks across your chest. You'll be like, Lord, I am ready to come into your presence. 
and there's a dead grizzly bear beside you. And you're like, Lord, it is finished. Right? Come on. Come on. <laughs> now you know. That's what's going on in a man's mind. Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, I didn't need to know that. It really is what's going on in a man's mind. One of the things, though, that has grabbed my attention in this, and, I, and I'm really not joking, I honestly have these moments. And in fact, I recently had one where I was in Florida, and I was taking my kids out on this airboat trip to go see gators and stuff, and, and I thought to myself, what would I do, you know, if, if a gator got my boys, and I'm imagining, what, maybe I'd give them my arm, and then, but then I'd be like attacking them or whatever. And the Lord interrupted me in one of these moments, dad moments, and God really convicted me with something I had never thought about. You see, I'm always laying these plans of what I would do, you know, and how I would be a hero in this situation, how great I am. Of course, I would jump on a grizzly bear and ride in the, the pearly gates, right, to save my boys. But God convicted me, and he said this. He raised a quote to me from Shakespeare. Shakespeare said this. He said, a coward dies a thousand times before his death but the valiant taste of death but once. And as I began to think about that quote, God said, Andy, you know, I don't think Shakespeare had that quite right. He said, I think it's actually the other way around. I think the hero dies a thousand times, but the coward tastes of death but once. And what God began to do in me is began to say, you know, Andy, in those situations where everything's dire and you think, oh man, I'd lay down my life for my kids, for my wife, for my mom, whoever it might be, God said, Andy, what about those times, what about those thousand different moments in your life that you need to die to yourself, that you need to die to your pride, that you need to die to your arrogance, that you need to die to your lust, that you need to die to your selfishness? What about those thousand times, Andy? Where's that valiant man? And men and, and, and ladies, this is something that you and I need to think about. I think about that, that you know, phrase that Jesus used where he says, take up your cross and follow after me. What, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, be brave. Be ready to die a thousand times for me to your selfish pride, your lust, those different areas in your life that you know what I'm talking about that you aren't valiant in and that you've lost more battles than you've won. Take up your cross and follow me. And it was one of those moments where I just began to realize before the Lord that I'm not as great as I think I am. I like to think of myself as, you know, a superhero in many ways. And, and, and it was one of those humbling moments where I'm like, you know what, I have a lot more work to do. Listen, if you got your Bible, grab, grab it out. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. And as we begin to look at the plan of God... This is a key theme about the plan of God. It is God's plan to save humanity. Now, as Daniel was talking last time, right, we saw God's plan from the beginning of the cosmos, that God is working, and, and he is the creator of all things. And now what we're seeing is that God creates humanity. Humanity sins rebels against God, brokenness comes into the world, but God doesn't give up on humanity, on this creation. 
But instead, God, and now we're zooming forward in, in Matthew, he begins this by saying, listen, in the beginning, in the beginning of human history, God has been at work. He hasn't given up on humanity. And he has laid his plans. And this is what Matthew begins to jump into as we read in Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy, Matthew's saying. In the Greek, he's saying, this is the book of beginnings. The beginning of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, some of your Bibles might say Jesus Christ, and it's easy to think that Christ is his last name. Christ isn't his last name, it's a title. And Greek uh, is... It translates Messiah into Christ, but the word Messiah is Hebrew, and it means anointed one. And this is significant because a lot of people don't understand what Messiah means. This word Messiah, when it's talking about anointed one, it simply means this. When the British crown a king, right, they put a crown on them. That's how you become a king, and we're used to that kind of monarchy of crowned kings. But for the Jews, they didn't crown their kings. They smeared their kings with oil. So the name Messiah means the crowned one. It means the king. And so what Matthew is talking about here when he says Jesus, he's saying Jesus, the king. But it's more than that because this name Jesus is the name Yeshua. And that name means God saves. And it comes from Joseph, which means God is salvation. And so what we're seeing here is this. King Jesus, he is the saving Savior. That's who he is. He is the king who has come to rescue his people. And as we begin to see how this unfolds, Matthew begins to continue to explain the plans of God and how this is beginning to take place or how it was taking place, by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this is significant. First, it's significant that Matthew is bringing up that in Jesus' genealogy, in his family tree, he comes from the line of David. Now, you can see this if you shoot down to verse 6 in Matthew we read, and Jesse, the father of King David. This is the line of Jesus. Now, this is significant because everybody else, Matthew just says his name, but when he gets to David, he indicates, no, 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 this is King David. Jesus comes from a royal lineage. He is the true heir to the throne. Now, what throne would that be? The Jewish throne. And so what Matthew is getting at here is that Jesus is the king of the Jews and he is the rightful heir to the king of the Jews. And the Jews are loving this because they are desiring a Messiah. They're desiring a king that would come from the line of David that would be like David. David had God's favor. He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us. And David was brave. He was mighty in battle. He did not shy away from a fight, and he protected his people, and they lived under his peace. And so they're looking to Jesus as this king who's going to come mighty in battle and save them like King David. But he continues 
And he says, not only is this Jesus coming in the line of David, the king of the Jews, coming for you Jews, but then he says, he is the son of Abraham. Now, the son of Abraham is significant. In fact, Abraham is what starts off this genealogy of Jesus, in that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham was who God called out of Ur to come and to follow him, and Abraham did. He takes his family and he follows God into this unknown land, and he has all kinds of faith to do that. I mean, it's so, it was brave. And as, and as he follows after God, God says to Abraham, listen, Abraham, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make a covenant with you, he's saying. Listen, here's my covenant, my relationship. It's like a marriage I'm going to make with you. That is that I'm going to be your God and I'm going to be faithful to you. And Abraham, you are going to follow me and you're going to be faithful to me. We will be faithful to one another. And God explains to Abraham, and I will bless you. And more than that, I will bless all the nations through you. See, as Matthew's talking here, this is an encouragement to not only the Jews that their king is coming, but this, that, that this is more than just the king of the Jews that's coming. This is the king of kings that's coming. That he is, he is King Jesus over all, and that he is going to bless all the nations through him. So you could imagine the people, as they're beginning to read Matthew's gospel, and he begins with this, this introduction that this is, this is a Jesus for everyone who is coming in power to save his people. Now, as we begin to think about that, there's, there's a, a problem that comes in to all of this. And I gotta be honest with you, if I could just take a moment here. I have been really looking forward to sharing this message with you because there are so many of us that when we come to the Bible, we really don't know how to read it. And oftentimes, people will read it and be really confused. See, it's interesting that Matthew, right? Matthew is this, is this bridge that you, we've read through the Old Testament and now we're going in into the New Testament. And oftentimes when we're reading, particularly in the New Testament, we'll read all sorts of stories that don't make any sense to us. And one of the reasons is, and listen, some of you are in children's ministry here. I'm not dissing you here, but it's a good example. My son got a Bible from our church and he brings it home, and it's called the Superhero Bible. And it looks like this. Right? He's like, that's the Bible I want to read, right? That's the Superhero Bible. And when you open up the Superhero Bible, what you see is that it's this Bible that, that kind of, again, I'm not dissing the Bible. The problem is that this is the, often the way that we read the Bible is that we will lift up these figures. You know, here's Moses, right? And we, we lift him up, and we're like, He's a superhero, man. Look how awesome he is. And we as people tend to put our hope into people. We, we often do this as, as we read the Bible. And, and when we do that, it can often become very confusing. Particularly, let's, let's just take an example, right? We've read in here about King David Look at, look at King David in the superhero Bible, right? <laughs> King David's kicking butt, man, right? Slays a giant. 
And now, now I just want you to think about this with me for a second, okay? Where does King David come into the midst of the story? Well, he comes in the midst of a story in, in the Old Testament in which the people are done following after God. They're like, listen, we don't want to have to follow after you, um, and, and, you know, and through your prophets and stuff. What we would rather do is we'd rather have a king that would rule over us. And God's like, are you sure? Because you know what that's going to require, right? They're going to want taxes and stuff from you, and they're going to mistreat you or whatever. Are you sure you want a king? They're like, oh, yeah, 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 we definitely want a king. And God goes, okay, listen, I'll do you a favor. I'll go looking amongst the people, and I'll find somebody that on the outside looks like a great king. He's tall, handsome, and strong, right? And the Bible says this guy's so great. His name's Saul, and he's even a head taller than everybody else. He'll be a great king. This will, this will be really good. And in fact, there's a group of Israelites that get, come under attack by uh, a king of the Ammonites. And when he takes over this group, they say, listen, we'll, we'll surrender to you. What, what are your, what are your um, you know, stipulations or what are, what are your, uh, uh, one of those. <laughs> Thank you for, for that help there. I appreciate it. Uh, and, and he goes, well, here are my conditions. I'll use that one. Thank you. Here are my conditions. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all the men and I'm going to gouge out their right eye just so you all look like idiots for falling to me and that I am in charge of you all. And people are like, oh, we don't like that. So they're like, can we just have seven days to go see if there's anybody who could save us? And the guy's like, okay, sure. He goes, look, they go look in. And Saul hears about this, he's like, oh, no, not on my watch, right? And he rallies a bunch of people together, and he leads this charge of victory, saving them, and just further solidifying for the people, absolutely, we want King Saul in charge. But as many of you know, right, as you lift up these people, and then you begin to pull back the layers, and you begin to see who they really are, as Saul begins to not trust the Lord. As Saul begins to lean on his own strength and to do things in his own might, as, as Saul ends up slaughtering people. Oh, I don't know about him being a superhero. I don't know if he's going to make it into the superhero Bible, right? And God's like, he intervenes, right? And he's like, oh, I get it, I get it. He, I, I found you a guy looking on the outside. He sucked. Listen, I'll do one better. I'll go looking for somebody who looks good on the inside. Surely he'll be great, right? And so we get this picture of King David. God goes and finds, look, look, I found a man after my own heart. He is brave and courageous. He's just a teenager, and he takes on a giant and, again, saves the people. And they're like, yes, give us King David. And then you begin to pull back those layers, and what do you find? You find a lying, adulterous murderer. I don't know if he's a superhero. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? You begin to read the Bible, and you're like, God, I don't understand this because, see, we make this mistake where we take people and we venerate them. Listen, the Bible's not telling you about Abraham and not telling you about David because it wants to venerate them. Let, take a look at Abraham, by the way. Here's Abraham, <laughs> right? Man of faith, right? Look at him. With the, God says, I'm going to give you a son, right? And he's like, I knew it. Yeah. But what about those times in which there was a king, Abimelech, and whom 
He's worried that his wife is so hot that he might actually kill him to take his wife, so he needs to tell people that his wife's his sister and lets the king take her. And God's like, what are you doing? It fixes that situation. And then Pharaoh comes along, and he does it again. And then he has, doesn't have faith, and then he decides he's going to sleep with his servant to help God out so that he could get a child. And what you begin to see is you begin to look at the Bible, and you're like, these people are a mess. They're a total disaster. In fact, I like the way Ricky Jarvez says it. He's a, as many of you know, he's a comedian. And he wrote this. He said, it's coming up on the back screen. It is, it, oh, there it is. It's almost as if the Bible was written by racist, sexist, homophobic, violent, sexually frustrated men instead of a loving God. Weird. He's right, by the way. It is weird if you begin to read the Bible and go, oh, look at how great they are. God didn't tell you about these people because they were great. What you begin to see is a story about a God who remains faithful amongst the people who never remain faithful. And in fact, I would say that Ricky doesn't go far enough, so I wrote my own. <laughs> the Bible was written by pathetic, scared, suicidal, adulterous murders guided by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and here's the thing. Some of you are like, man, that's messed up. It is, and so are you. Honestly, would you be any better? Would I? Listen, if I just take my own life and I think about my own standards, and I even think, do I ever even just live up to my own standards? You know, listen, I like to think of myself as a superhero, like I told you, I really do. But as I began to look at my own life and I began to be honest with myself, I realized I don't live up, I don't live up like I think I do. And see, many of you begin to get confused when you read the Bible because you'll read about these people and you'll be like, man, they were so messed up. One of the things I love about the Bible, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat messed up people. The Bible tells you what people were actually like because it's only when you begin to see how broken they were that you begin to see the power of God in them. God working in and through them. And it's amazing when you begin to read this lineage, you begin to read just a litany of broken people, both men and women. You come across, in verse three, Tamar, a woman who was abused by men. That's part of Jesus' lineage. It was terrible what happened to her. But then you also read about women like Rahab that was a prostitute. You read about Ruth, who wasn't even a Jew, all of whom were part of Jesus's genealogy. In all of this brokenness, we see Jesus merging. A good God, a faithful savior that doesn't give up on the broken, but works through their brokenness. In fact, this is so funny. This week, as I was just pre preparing, I was reading just some different blog articles that were talking about all the messed up stuff you'll read about in the Bible. And there was this one scene that in the Bible, there's a number of scenes in the Bible that are just horrific. Again, the Bible's not telling you because it wants you to emulate this. The Bible's telling you this because it's being descriptive, not prescriptive. You understand? There's a difference. And I love that there was this one African-American lady who's commenting. You can see this grandma. And after she read this horrible story in the Bible, this person was talking about, this is what she wrote. And I think this is how we should read the Bible. 
She said, Lord, have mercy. Thank you for the cross. <laughs> Listen, is that right? I mean, I got to tell you, there are so many times that I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy, right? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. There are some broken people in here. So are you. So am I. It's a convicting moment where you and I realize how in need we are of a Savior. We need God. We need him to work in and through us because, Lord, have mercy, we are broken. But Jesus is good. We come to the end of this genealogy. We read in verse 16 that Joseph, the husband of Mary, notice how Matthew's careful how to write that, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. King Jesus came through our brokenness to save us because he loves you. He loves you in spite of your brokenness and in spite of our failing, he comes alongside us and says, follow after me. I will show you what it looks like to, to be great. I will, I will teach you. Now, listen, as I, as I just come to a conclusion here, I just want to challenge you to begin to think about maybe some of the areas in your life that you don't quite have this quite right. Maybe there are people in your life that you have lifted up, maybe people in the Bible or people just in your life in general, that you've really lifted up and have venerated and you, and you really just have put way too much hope in them. Man, when I first became a Christian, I went to this church and there was this young adults pastor there that was just buff beyond belief, just pounded weights and read the Bible all day. It was amazing. I was like, I love this man. And then one day he ends up leaving his wife and cheating on her for one of the young adults and leaves and never comes back. And I think, that's messed up. That's the church. Listen, guys, the first, I, when I got into ministry, the first two pastors I work with, they disqualified themselves from ministry. Two. Oh, man, that's messed up. Have you had people in your life that have let you down? Listen, there are going to be lots of people in your life that will let you down if you put your hope in them. I love what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul says this. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow after me as I follow after Christ. Listen, lift up another person to the degree in which they are lifting you up to Jesus because it's Jesus that we put our hope in, not people. Listen, Daniel and I, this last week, we were at ETS and EPS, the Evangelical Theological Society and the Evangelical Philosophical Society, and it is full of the who's who of Christian gurus, right, and authors. You know what I'm talking about. Those men and women, right, like William Lane Craig or Nancy Piercy, whoever it might be for you, right, that it's kind of your author or your podcast, and, and that's that person you kind of lift up. Man, do you need to be careful. The only one that we should lift up is King Jesus. He is the only one that's good. He's the only one who will not let you down. And when we begin to see that, we begin to see the power of the gospel in and through us. So I wanna, wanna close with this uh, scripture verse from Paul. He says this in 1 Timothy 
Here's is verse 12. Here's a man who understood himself before the Lord, who knew his brokenness. And he said, I thank Christ Jesus. I thank King Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now notice what he says here. Here is a trustworthy saying that demands full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's you and I. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is King Jesus. Listen, I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come up, and we're going to continue to worship and praise this King of Kings. But as we do, we're going to respond tonight in communion. We're going to respond in worship and in communion. And as we come forward for communion, if you haven't been here before, by the way, um, communion here is, is an opportunity for you to meet with the Lord It's a time to to just get yourself right with the Lord before we come up and we partake in the good king, the king who was willing to follow out his plan of salvation through human history all the way through disciples who, who ended up abandoning him in the end as Romans took him up and strung him and, and nailed him to a cross And as Jesus began to suffocate and die from his wounds on that tree, this is a superhero that looks out over those who crucified him and prays, God, would you please forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. They are so broken. That last part, that's me. So broken. And listen, as you just take a moment now to meet with the Lord, I just want to encourage you to just be real. Take a moment to to actually just meet with the Lord in your brokenness and identify where are those areas, where are those areas that I need to die to myself? Where are those areas that I think I'm a whole lot better than I am? And I need to look to King Jesus. I need to stop to put myself up on this superhero platform and I need to bring myself back down and I need to put Jesus up there. As you're meeting with the Lord, maybe there are people in your life that you've put too high and you need to just bring them down and you need to remember that Jesus is your hope. Not your mom, not your dad, not your family, not your pastor, Jesus. And that you would follow after people to the degree in which they're leading you to him. And maybe tonight, As you're sitting there meeting with the Lord, you need to remember that even in your brokenness, God can and he will work in and through you. He's not finished with you. God will see his plans to completion. He will be faithful even when you're not. 
And as we come before this communion table, as we gather together as a family, this is a reminder that God is welcoming you new to the table. You are not too far gone. Tonight can be a new start for you. Start over if you've messed up. Put Jesus back on the throne and come before him in humility and just commune with your brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. Maybe you've never come to the table before. Maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in King Jesus. I want to encourage you, tonight is an opportunity to respond to God through communion. Come and partake of this bread that represents his body that was broken for you. A king who loved you so much, he died for you. And this juice that represents his blood that was shed for you on that cross, that he might save you from yourself. So that through him, you can have eternal relationship with God and with one another. The way the plan was meant to be from the very beginning. God has worked it through Jesus that we can fulfill that in him. So when you're ready, come. I do just want to say two things about the bread. It is gluten-free, but however, they were short on bread, so it does have sesame seeds on it. I apologize if you're allergic to those. Let me pray, and when you're ready, you can come to the table. Lord God, as we just meet with you now, God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would come. God, that you would convict our hearts where we need convicting. God, let us know those who, those who don't know that you love them, God, I just pray your Holy Spirit on them, that you would just convict them that you do love them. And your desire is to work in and through their brokenness, and that you can and that you will. And that, God, that you would continue to inspire and move us, that we would continue to follow after you because we love you. And we know that you're not just the King of Kings, you are the good King eternal. And we praise you in your wonderful name, for you are good. Amen. Please stand with me as we worship.